once came another man who... Style of tall. Go ahead. I'll be honest. I, I played a very high standard. Young, a superstar. Give some lessons. Determination. Was extremely Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. And I felt be down in flames with all the bombs in my style. I felt in the sense of my style and skills. All right. It is March 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to the Chess Underground, wherever you are, wherever you may be quarantined or sheltering in place. I hope all of our listeners are safe and well. I am here with special guest Daniel Garrett uh, to check in with um, the candidates tournament and how that's going. And Daniel, I'll let you introduce yourself. All right. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So I'm Daniel Garrett. I'm the current Peoria Illinois City Champion, um, probably at least in part because uh, you didn't play. Um, I've been playing, (laughs) I've been playing, uh, club level chess for about seven years. Um, prior to that, I was like around rated 900 or so, and now I'm like 1900 something. So that's a pretty good improvement. Um, an adult improver. We always love to have those on the show. Yeah. I don't think I'll improve another thousand points, although that'd be great. Um, but I don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you had, you know what, you have one of the rare pleasures of doubling your rating in the world. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can double their initial rating. Well, yeah, a lot of times people start too high to do that. (laughs) Right. Right. I started, I started off, I think my first ever rating was a thousand twenty. And so it took me a long time, but I eventually doubled that rating. And, uh, my good friend, Tim McEntee pointed that out to me when I did it. And he was right. I doubled. He he started off as a fifteen hundred, so it's unlikely he'll ever get there. But you never know. I would never rule it out. Yeah, I mean, he he could be in the next candidates. You never know. Right. <laughs> so speaking of which, um, you know, this candidates tournament, honestly, it's one of the most fascinating in history to me. Um, not not specifically because of the players who are involved, although I do think there are some really great matchups and some exciting games, and it's a good lineup. But the context of this candidate, I think, is going to be remembered for a very long time. I think this is going to go down in chess history as one of the most fascinating world championships uh, cycles because of the extreme circumstances under which it's held. I mean... If you, if you consider the fact that sporting events all over the world have been canceled left and right, no NCAA tournament, no NBA, the European soccer leagues, right? Everything is shut down. And yet here we are playing probably the most important chess tournament on the calendar while this global pandemic, of course, I'm referring to the coronavirus, is happening. I've got to imagine that that has an effect on the players. What do you think? Oh, it. It absolutely has an effect on the players. I mean, um, I'm trying to remember who it was uh, uh, that made a quote that uh, when two players play standing, they may the winner of that game may not be the same as when they play sitting. Like any little difference in um, the circumstances can affect your play, much less a global pandemic. I mean, uh, <laughs> right. I'll probably touch on it a little bit later, but like Ding Liren had to go through two weeks of quarantine right before this tournament. I mean, I don't see how that can't affect you. 
right? I, I remember even watching the the elbow bumps before round one and just thinking about, you know, an event like this comes with such enormous and immense psychological pressure. And to add on the weight of playing with literally, a, you know, a lethal global virus running rampant throughout the world has got to take its toll uh, on the field. As we saw with a withdrawal, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we had a withdrawal from the chess candidates tournament, um, especially one due to fears over a pandemic. I mean, I'm sure that that specific scenario has never happened. But for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, Tamor Rajabov, who was scheduled to be the opponent of the only American player in the event, Fabiano Caruana's opponent in round one, withdrew what was it, 10 days or so before the tournament? I mean, it was very in, within very short order leading up to the tournament that Rajabov actually withdrew. Yeah, I think it was uh, he had, like barely over a week, yeah. Um, there, there wasn't much time for NBL to prepare if he hadn't already done some preparation. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at that, like just the, just the strange circumstances, the multitude of X factors... Uh, that are holding an effect over this event, it's got to go down as one of the, I mean, certainly one of the strangest, probably one of the most memorable and interesting candidates tournaments of all time. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think this will definitely be uh, a candidates tournament that um, a lot of more casual chess players will remember. I mean, I think your average casual chess player doesn't really pay much attention to the candidate cycle. (laughs) I think that's fair. Um, Whereas right now you've got, quite frankly, everyone trapped at home. Um, so you've got a lot more viewers and people paying attention. It's the only major sporting event going on. Uh, and then the just really extraordinary circumstances surrounding it. Um, the, like you said, the only withdrawal that I can really think of. Um, certainly the only one of these circumstances. It, it's definitely going to go down in uh, the chess history books if there is such a thing. You know, you bring up a good point there. This literally is the only show in town, right? I mean, I can't even name another sporting event that's happening right now. Certainly there are no major sports in, you know, within the United States. I think I recently saw a news article that some of the Asian basketball leagues are starting up in the next like two or three weeks, but that's still, you know, two or, even that is two or three weeks off. Right. This will be wrapped up by then. Right. So right now, I mean, if you want to watch some sporting competition, I think this is literally, you know, quite, quite literally the only game in town, except in this case, town is the whole world. Yeah, it makes the world seem a lot smaller right now, that's for sure. Yeah. I'd be very curious to see the, the broadcast numbers, you know, when it's all said and done and wrapped up and, and how, how many viewers and who and when and where and where from. I know I've been following it very, very closely. So anyway, let's, let's get into it. You know, you had mentioned um, one of the things you brought up was uh, the quarantine leading up, so, so pre-event, right? Now, for the listeners who aren't familiar what you're referencing there, the two players from China, uh, Wang Hao and Ding Li Ren. Actually, that's not true. They had, they had different circumstances. But Ding Li Ren was flown into Russia uh, a couple weeks early, a couple weeks in advance of the event, and quarantined in his hotel room uh, or, or apartment or wherever they put him up, um, sort of quarantined in place prior to the event uh, with, I believe, some of his team, some of his family, and Wang Hao sort of had the same treatment, but as I understand it, he was in Japan, and then they flew in uh, from Japan. 
shortly prior to the event. I don't know if, if you uh, <clears throat> heard it, Daniel, but I, I actually predicted a Ding Liren victory, <laughs> which is not looking so great right now as of this afternoon. Um, I predicted a Ding Liren victory in the candidates, but I have to imagine that, you know, not only the, the last minute inclusion of, of MVL, who, by the way, it should be noted, lifetime record, Maxime Vachy-Legrave versus Ding Liren. Uh, MVL has a plus three score against him in decisive games. So I, I'm sure that had a huge effect on his performance thus far. But I have to imagine, you know, just the, the, the craziness with the pandemic, the quarantine and all that did too. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think um, psychologically, everything that, I mean, it's not happened globally, but initially in China um, with the pandemic, I think the, um, the quarantine has to have an impact. Um, the, all the added security and testing at the site. Um, and then of course, like Ding Liren's prep, right? I mean, well, everyone's prep for that matter, but like you mentioned, uh, uh, Lagrav has a plus three score against him. So, you know, he's probably going to this tournament with Rajabov in the mix, thinking he's got pretty good chances. And suddenly, uh, there's a very strong competitor that he has, does not do well against, uh, now in the tournament that he probably hasn't prepared much for. So I, I think it's, right. it's going to, all of that combined has to have a huge effect on him. Um, and then after he started out losing the first couple rounds, like if he had had a couple shaky games and had draws, he probably pulls himself back together. But after losing the first two games, yeah, he came back and beat Bobby in round three, but he's still been kind of shaky since then. And now dropping another game, I, I don't see how he could possibly pull himself together at this point. Yeah, it feels like, <clears throat> so today, March 23rd, for the listeners who were not following it as closely as you and I have been, um, Liren actually lost his game. Uh, he had black against the tournament leader, who was Yan Nepomnesi, and lost his game, a very uh, intense game. Actually missed, I don't know if you saw this, today he, he missed an opportunity to completely turn the tables and go from much worse to, to possibly dead winning. Did you, did you catch that line? I didn't catch that line. I'll have to go back and look at that. Cause that's, uh, that's really interesting. I'll try to, I'll try to find the moment. It was a, it was a fantastic shot. It was a tactical shot. Basically, um, Nepomnishi was up, well, had an outside pass pawn, the B pawn pushing up the board. And there was one specific tactical moment where sort of the, the stars aligned perfectly for Ding Liren to find the shot and capture this pawn even though the pawn was defended three times only attacked twice he would have been basically sacrificing a whole rook but he had such mating threats towards the white king that actually it would be white who was completely helpless um it, it only appeared for you know one turn uh ding Liren actually I, I believe moved fairly quickly and and the opportunity uh passed passed just as quickly uh so yeah i i think today's game against against Nepomnishi, is this, is this the end of my prediction for candidates 2020? Is Ding Liren, is he done? Uh, l let's just look at the standings. I'll pull those up while you, while you give me your thoughts there, but well, yeah, does he's, this kill uh, him in the tournament? I mean, he's what, he's at like two points right now, and uh, the tournament leader's at four and a half, so, I mean, you're down two and a half points with only eight rounds left. Um, it, it's not just that he has to catch the tournament leader, I mean, He's got to catch everybody. He's got to catch everybody. The whole field's ahead of him. So, like, if uh, the, if the tournament leaders start shifting and someone else gets hot, that still doesn't help him. So, he's. 
unless he just starts winning almost every game, I don't I don't see how it how it comes together for him. Yeah, so just to quickly run down the tournament standings as of today, so uh, six games have been played. We're almost at the halfway point. Now we're checking in today ahead of round seven for a couple of reasons. One, there's actually a rest day uh, tomorrow, so this is sort of a, a nice little stopping point to to check in. But number two, of course, we have our podcast deadline release on Tuesday. Today's Monday. We got to get it done. But the the standings at the six round point. Uh, show Jan Pomnish in the lead. Let's get back to him because he was sort of a, a trendy pick um, for, for a lot of people pre-event. He's got four and a half out of six. That's a that's an amazing score. So he's on plus three after only six rounds. Yeah, that, um, that is amazing. Yeah, I mean, when you consider the field, right? I mean, that's just a phenomenal performance by him so far. Uh, Maxime Vashilagrov, the last second replacement to Tamor Rajabov. Uh, the Frenchman, Vashi Legrov's in second. He's on he's on plus one after six rounds with three and a half. So he's a full point behind Nepomnishi. Then uh, we actually have a, a huge logjam. We have a big tie from third through sixth place, which is uh, Caruana. Uh, he's on three out of six. He has two decisive games, one win, one loss, so even score. And Yushkiri, same story, decisive games, uh, one win, one loss. Wong Hao, same story. Um, and then Alexander Grishuk, I believe, has drawn all his games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he has. Uh, so they, right, so they're all on three out of six. Grishuk, um, all draws, although it should be noted he was pressing in some of those games. And then pulling up the rear, the two players uh, at the bottom of the table, both on two points out of six. Ding Liren, so minus two. Uh, although, although, interestingly enough, Ding Liren has a win in there. He has three losses, one win. There was some question as to whether or not he could play, you know, decisive enough games to, to win this. Would he just draw too many? Uh, unfortunately, he went the wrong direction with that. And then right. Kirill, Alexi- <laughs> Kirill Alexienko, the last wild card, also on two out of six. Um, so there's your full standings as of round six. Let's get back to Nepomnichi. Um He was, uh, I, I don't know if you followed the sort of the pundits pre-tournament. He was a trendy dark horse pick. What what were your feelings on him sort of heading into the candidates? Um, yeah, he definitely was a Trinity Dark Horse pick. And um, even personally, like with all of my friends, um, I was talking about him. I mean, Fabi kind of had to be like your number one pick just based off of rating, the fact that he won last time. And even, you know, if it weren't for tiebreak rules, might have won the candidates before that as well. Um, but aside from Bobby being the leader, like if you're looking at the rest of the field, uh, Nepomnishi was kind of like the dark horse that I feel like a lot of people were picking. Um, he, he's been playing really well the last several months and his ratings been creeping up. He'd been moving up the, uh, uh, you know, the rankings on the, uh, the FIDE list. I think he was, let's see, he's, he's number four now. And if he keeps winning like this, he'll very quickly be number three. Um, like I said, if I had to put money on someone other than Fabi before this tournament, it would have been him. Really? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people felt that way, honestly. I think a lot of people felt that way, just based on his performance. You know, one of the interesting things about Nepomnichi, in fact, I'll just I'll just say one of the one of the other things that makes this tournament so fascinating to follow at the moment is Nepomnichi as the leader. If if you were to pick, you know, one of the more streaky players in the field, it would probably be him. Right. I mean, just he has just as equal tendency, I would say, 
to rattle off three wins in a row as he might to lose three in a row. And that certainly throws some uncertainty into his his pretty substantial lead at the moment. How do you feel about that? I do think he's very streaky, but I kind of get the feel that it just has to do with, um, I mean, maybe this dumbs it down too much, but I think it comes down to his prep and will to win. I mean, if he's in hmm. a tournament that he, you know, has already written off, then yeah, he might drop a few games in a row. Or um, if there's not really anything in particular to gain from a tournament, then you, you might not see um, him at his best form. But I kind of get the feeling in the last few months that he really wanted this tournament. And that's why you saw him playing so well. I mean, he's, he's got like a performance rating of almost 3,000 in this tournament. It's absolutely incredible. So I, I don't see him dropping like three games in a row in this candidates. I just don't see that happening. I think I think you bring up a very good point there in terms of motivation. Yeah, so I'm not sure if you caught the uh, the press conference after the game, but um, I think you're right about the will to win. Napomashi in the press conference was coughing, uh, looked maybe even a little unwell, and they specifically asked him, you know, have, have you been tested for <laughs> COVID-19? And he said, yes, of course, I've been tested. It's negative. I'm just not feeling so great. I'm going to use the rest day to feel better. And, and really, to me just gave the spirit of I'm here, I'm fighting, I'm trying to win this thing, which is in any sports contest, you know, whether it's uh, Bill Russell walking back onto the court, the famous Michael Jordan flu game, if you're an NBA fan like I am, uh, whatever it may be, watching someone play through adversity is a really cool thing, I think. Yeah, it's very impressive. Uh, and you you have those kind of examples in any sport. I mean, uh I think it was Kurt Schilling and the Bloody Sock in baseball. I mean, mm, like mm-hmm. you, you see that where there's just right. people overcoming um, evil, even the physical limitations. Um, and I mean, gosh, an almost 3,000 performance rating while you're sick is just crazy. Right. But, <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't catch that press conference. I'll have to go back and, and watch it. I was kind of uh, engrossed in the Gearian game, which was also very interesting. Um, but yeah, I do think that his motivation, um, at least so far in this tournament, seems to be stronger than everyone else's. I mean, take Grishik, for example. Grishik, uh, you see him multiple times kind of talking about how he doesn't really even feel like playing right now because of the circumstances, which I totally get. But uh, you see uh, Nepomashi, and he's just like, I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm going to win this tournament. Right, right. Just I'm plowing through it. Um, it's really remarkable. So let's talk about the Geary game. But, but before we move over to Geary, I just wanted to fill in the gap for our listeners. Um, you might remember earlier I mentioned that Nupomnishu's game today, where he defeated Ding Liren, uh, world number three going into the tournament, Ding Liren, above 2,800. Ding Liren did miss a shot. It was move 33. Uh, 33, Nupomnishu played queen c6, and I believe that was the moment when Ding Liren could find sort of a shot in the dark, if you will, with Rook captures B6 exclamation point. And for the listeners at home who want to replay the game, of course we are doing audio, so we can't throw the position up in front of you. But if you want to replay the game, go to move 33. Queen C6 was played by Nepomnishi. And then check out the move. Rook captures on B6. The pawn is defended three times, so he's essentially sacrificing an entire Rook. The point is, if White recaptures, Rook takes B6. There's Queen captures E2. And the mating threats to the White King are quite substantial. Um, so check it out. All right, let's move on. You were talking about the Geary game today. What drew your attention in that game? Um, 
I think what was interesting about that was just that um I don't know if this if this tournament were not the candidates, <laughs> I think Geary might have just accepted a draw there longer before. But uh but there's two things. I mean obviously it's the candidates. He's you know, the tournament leader has expanded his lead. Um and Geary's also playing the lowest person in the field. So it kind of felt like, you know, this is a chance that may not come twice. So you he just kept pressing and kept pressing and kept pressing and it worked out for him. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it was sort of a, a must win for Geary to climb back to equal. You see, you know, when the psychology of the player, when you see Nepomnichi pulling away from the field, you know, sort of like waving to you in his, in his dust as he trails off into the sunset, you feel added pressure to win, right? And I think Geary displayed that today. Uh, with a very lengthy, almost did we did we pass seven hours? I didn't catch the exact end time, but I think we did. I think it was a, an over seven hour game where Geary with the black pieces managed to overcome Kirill Alexenko in a very a very complicated end game. You and I were texting each other when it got down to so so it got down to Queen Knight and FG and H pawns, and I bring that up specifically so so our viewers can visualize it. Versus Queen Knight and FG and H pawns. So it's not like there were even, you know, there wasn't like a passed pawn somewhere. There wasn't an imbalance in the pawn structure. It was F2, G3, H4 versus F7, G6, H5. And really the only difference in the position for anybody was in each series, Queen and Knight were a little more active than Alexanko's. I mean, am I characterizing that correctly, you think? Yeah, no, you, you definitely are. And um, like you said, with the you know, there was really no imbalance in the pawns. It's not like there was a, uh, Gary's extra pawn was on the other side of the board. I mean, it's three versus two on the same side of the board. So it's very challenging to see how he's going to win that. But he did have a little bit more active queen and, uh, queen and knight. Um, but then he traded the queens off and then he traded off, uh, his eight pawn. So it, like, it started to look like, oh, you know, Alex is really holding this well. But then, you know, one blunder and, uh, Gary didn't let go. Yeah, you. as we were texting one another, one of the comments I made, you know, you said, this is very equal. And, and I think I just responded back with something along the lines of, these are tricky, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what you said. And I think that's a, a good character. First of all, I think that's a good characterization of any knight and pawn endgame. Um, I remember one of my favorite endgame books titled Just the Facts, I believe is where you can find this quote. The author calls the knight the springer of surprises. And I think that's a good, that's a really good way of sort of visualizing the knight's role in the end game. Really, I guess you could say throughout the game of chess, but especially the end game is the knight as a, as a springer of surprises, a piece that can surprise and shock with its, with its capability. But yeah, that said, I'm still after following that game for seven hours, I'm still a little shocked. Gary, Gary pulled it off. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe he won that. I am too, especially, uh, I get they were both on um, on the increment there at the end, but uh, the move where Alexinko blundered, um, what's funny is that particular move, I feel like almost any uh, club, layer, club level player would have played um, one of the drawing moves. There was a couple moves that drawed, but one of them is just simply pushing the eight pawn. And I feel like, you know, we're always taught push past pawns, right? And uh, Alexinko's got that past H pawn. And h5 was one of the moves that draws. But instead, he, he played knight e3, and that, that's what cost him the game. Pass pawns are meant to be pushed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, again, we see 
I don't want to call that like an elementary mistake because let's be honest, it was a very complicated position. But I, oh, but right. I will say this. I think the number of errors and like mischances, miss let's call them, whether it's a mischance to equalize or to draw the game or to get back into the game, or it's a mischance to win, we've seen a lot of those in this event. I mean, we've seen, you know, two outliers. We've seen a high rate of decisive games, and we've seen a lot of mischances. Yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of mischances, a lot of decisive games, quite frankly, a lot of wins with black, which is surprising to me, especially the candidates where you, you tend to see a lot of draws. Um, because people don't want to take undue chances, especially early in the candidates. Right. Um, so I, I really think a lot of that, I don't want to blame it all on this, but I think a lot of that comes from the circumstances people are playing under. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, how, how can we not always keep that as, as sort of the, uh, I don't know, I don't know the right way to put it, the elephant in the room, right? Or the, the window pane through which we, we will always view this tournament. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that has a huge effect. So I'm curious, you know, we, we went through the standings. Geary with his win today, very impressive, lengthy win, pulls back up to even score three out of six with three other players. So four players on an even score. NVL at plus one, three and a half. Nepomishi at four and a half. In that... In that group of let's let's call it second through sixth. So I mean, obviously, Maxim Vashelagrov has a one game advantage there. Is there a player in that group between MVL, Karawana, Anishkiri, in Wonghao, and Grishuk who intrigues you as someone who can maybe separate themselves from the pack? Can somebody make a run at Nepomnishi? Is there a name you're watching or following? Is it still Fabi? Is it still, you know, sort of the pre-tournament favorite? Or has someone else caught your eye? Um, I think obviously still has to be Fabi just because of his um, very historically lengthy, um, stronger performances. You know, like just... For, for months and years now, he's performed much higher than a lot of these other guys have. And I mean, his... his tr- pre-tournament rating was up to 2840-something. Um, and you look at the next four rounds, he's got three whites, and the one black he has is against Alexinko, who, um, if you expect him to win a game with black, you might think that would be against him. So he's really got four chances over the next four rounds. Um, the only other person might be Geary, um, just because I was kind of impressed with his tenacity in this game. And clearly he hasn't written this tournament off. Whereas someone like Grishchuk, I, I don't want to say he's written it off, but like some of his commentaries kind of made me think he might have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think Fabi with the outside chance of Geary, but I really think that Nepomuchi is just going to run away with it. You know, it's interesting you, you brought up Geary because he was one who, I think it, obviously we know his historical reputation of, of being very draw heavy. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but the chess website, Chess24 was offering a promotion where you could sign up to be a member and you would get an additional free month of membership for every draw Geary had during the candidates. I uh, did see that, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I think it's still running through today or maybe tomorrow, I'm not sure which, but yeah. There you go. Not an official sponsor of the show, but we're plugging him anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's just, I, I thought that was hilarious. Um, but sometimes, you know, these lengthy battles have a tendency to bring out the best in the player. You know, so here we are at almost but not quite the halfway point. And Geary 
just won a game to essentially save his tournament life. You know, if he if he draws or loses that game, if he draws the game, he's two full points back of the leader. That's hard. I mean, not impossible, but very hard to make up. If he loses, of course, he's dead in the water. Wins the game, gets back to even. Sometimes, you know, it's funny how those results can sort of energize you during an event. You know what I mean? Have you ever had one of those in a tournament where you've just felt like that that game right there really propelled me to have a good event? Oh, yeah, I've had... I've definitely had those situations, um, either where, you know, you, you're losing a game and you manage to hold it, um, or you eke out a win. Um, I mean, I, I've had tournaments where I went like three out of four, three and a half out of four. I think you even had one where I went four out of four, but they were definitely games where there was like I a moment, had, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and then after that, you just, you just played better the rest of the tournament. Actually, one of mine that comes to mind, I don't know if you remember this, I believe you were on the team. It was the U.S. Amateur Team North Tournament, and we were playing a women's team, and I was I was facing um, Katerina Nemsova. And I don't know if you recall it, but I had this study-like draw where I was down a whole night in the endgame, and she had a pawn one square from promoting, but her king was in front of the pawn, and she couldn't get it out of she couldn't get her king out of the way of the pawn. I had I had like this way of triangulating and keeping her king always in front of the pawn. And that just being able to hold that, you know, you bring up a good point. Sometimes it's not always winning a game. Sometimes it's holding a position that can, you know what I mean? That can spur you into, okay, you know, let's go. And you just get that, that attitude. Oh, for sure. And in fact, you actually just reminded me of uh, this year's U.S. Amateur North for me. Um, the first round, I think that I played, it was round two, or maybe I'm confusing it now, but I remember the... Uh, one of the first rounds I played, I played this um, expert, and I should have lost the game, but it managed to hold it. And then, you know, after that, I did pretty well and had like a twenty one hundred performance rating for the tournament. Yeah, it's it's funny how those can how, how those can really kick you into to action, if you will. So I like I like the Geary call. I think that's not a bad I think that's not a bad call. You know, I mean, he's a strong player. He has experience. I think out of the field, he's actually one of the most experienced players in candidates tournaments. Uh, if I recall correctly, I think he's played, this is his third. If I remember my, my uh, preview research accurately. I think you are right. Um, and, I, and I guess actually I just want to add one more reason why I kind of think Geary is just because if he does come off energized from this game, uses the rest day well, um, and let's just say hypothetically, he wins his game against Grishik and Grishik, I feel has kind of like shown that he doesn't have as much energy. Then round eight, he actually plays the tournament leader. Uh, so I don't know. A lot of things could happen in the next couple of rounds. You know, what's interesting is you bring up that Grishik Geary game, because I'm going to, I'm going to sort of answer my own question. I'm, I'm quickly looking up Nepomnishi versus Geary. Wow. Geary is plus one lifetime against Nepomnishi. So that's, that's going to be a really interesting game. The most recent game they played was the 2019 Singfold Cups, so just last year, and Geary beat Nepomnishi, and Geary was white in that game. So that should be fun. <laughs> Geary versus the tournament leader, and, and you said that is round eight, correct? Did I hear that correctly? It, it is now. Unfortunately, for Geary, Nepomnishi has white. Ah, uh, yes, Geary's black, yeah. Okay. Um, but, I mean, we've seen a lot of black wins, so... That's uh, true. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sort of answer my own question from that field. Who do I see 
moving, you know, potentially moving out of that list. I think you're right. I think Fabiano is probably, Fabiano Caruana is probably the most likely to make a jump from sort of the middle of the pack, equal score, plus one score to, okay, I'm in contention. You know, he was the pre-tournament favorite. He hasn't done anything really too, too extensively bad to make you think, okay, he's out of it. He's, he's not going to make a jump. So I think he's sort of the odds on favorite to still give a fight to Nepomnishi. Yeah, I think that's right. But I'm going to answer that question in an interesting way. I'm going to say, actually, I'm going to kind of cheat. So I apologize. I think you're right. I actually think round seven is the key. It's going to be the key round. And I think if there's a decisive winner, so so round seven features Giri versus Groshuk and Karawana versus Wenhao. It also favors, it also has uh, VML versus Nabonoshi. <laughs> and it has the two leaders, right? So round seven is going to be a great, this is going to be a fantastic round. Um, it has MVL, MVL versus Nabonoshi, you're right. Um, but I, I think if there's a decisive result between Karawana Wenhao, so if, if one of those two wins, they're playing each other, or Giri Grishik. I like whoever has the reci- decisive result between those two games to be the one who, who pushes for the lead. And maybe there isn't, maybe they're all draws. But I sort of think coming off the rest day, you know, looking at the looking at the scoreboard, looking at the standings, the players are going to realize we got to win, right? Mm-hmm. A, a half point's not enough. We got to get a full point. So my answer is going to be whoever whoever comes out with a win between those two games, Karawana Wonghao and Giri Grushik, that's who I like to make a move. I think uh, I think that's very valid. I think also, I think I mean obviously the most critical game has to be the MVL game because um, right. Well, if anybody, well, I guess maybe if MVL wins that that helps the field. Yeah, right? if MVL wins, um, then you know you've got two people at four and a half, and anybody out of the other four people on fifty percent that win, suddenly they're only a half point out. Right. That's a good point. I think um, you brought up a really good point pre-show. You know, sort of the next three rounds here are, I mean, they would have been anyway, but it feels like because of the circumstances, they're an incredibly important stretch. Uh, round seven, eight, nine. Because first, first, obviously, in round seven, you have the two leaders facing each other. And then you have the four players on three facing each other. So Ding Liren versus Alexango, obviously the, the two players on two at the bottom of the table play each other in round seven. So this round is basically the mover round, right? Like if anybody can come away with a win, they improve their chance significantly, which is true in general, but here I think even even more so. But then in Well, it's definitely even more so just because um, since the two bottom players are facing each other, uh, I mean people have a chance to move a full point over someone else rather than just to, you know, catch a half point or stay even. Right, exactly. It's like not only are you helping yourself, but you're hurting some competition, right? So it's 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 a double it's a it's a double whammy. I don't know the right way to put it. You're you're help you're helping yourself twofold, I guess, essentially. And then after after round seven, if we look ahead even one more round to round eight, okay, we have some great matchups there too. So we have Caruana versus MVL. Obviously, you know, there's an opportunity um, for Fabi to get back into this thing and dent somebody who's ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, technically, Fabi could uh, could be the tournament leader after round eight. I mean, if uh, if you imagine being, uh, Vashir winning, and then Vashir is tied for first with tiebreaks, so he's in first place, and then if Caruana wins, Caruana 
could be the tournament leader. That's a good, that's an excellent point. I mean, he would, he would essentially have to go two for two, right? Coming out of the rest day, but that's his path. I mean, that's his path right there. He's and got he's a, white in both games. He's white in both games. Actually, this is something I, I talked about in my, in my preview, in my preview, I mentioned, you know, for Fabi to win, he's got to come off of this exact rest day strong because he gets, he gets Wang Hao, Wang Hao, he gets white against, Wang Hao is actually his worst matchup. Um, coming into the event, let me pull this back up. I remember Wang Hao being his absolute worst matchup. Uh, let me find it. Where is it? Yeah, he's, get this, are you ready? In classical games, so they've had four draws. Mm-hmm. And in decisive results, Wang Hao beat Fabiano Caravana 5-0. to zero. That is like... Crazy. That's shocking, I mean, right? Like that's not what you would have expected. Has he even played that badly against Magnus? I mean, gosh. I you know, I don't have those stats in front of me. So but here's 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 sort of where I what I said in the preview. You know, he's coming off of a rest day with white. So if he if he can start to even the score against Wang Hao here, so first of all, obviously given the context of the tournament, that's gonna be crucial. But also you would have to imagine psychologically that would be a big boost to overcome an opponent who's been historically very difficult for him. And then immediately following that, he was going to have white against Rajabov. <laughs> Remember, right. the MVL game was going to be Rajabov, who was his historically easiest opponent. He was 4-0 over Rajabov. Yeah, that's a huge change. Yeah, to go, so to go from that to MVL. Now, what's interesting is against MVL, he actually has a, a lifetime plus score also. He is plus two lifetime against MVL. It's not quite as great as 4-0 over Rajabov in decisive games. But, you know, plus two is not terrible. So I thought I actually identified this as the stretch where Carolina would sort of pull away and or, you know, build a lead. Because he had a rest day, then white against Wang Hao, who I think, you know, he's going to start to even the score. And then white against his, his best opponent statistically, Rajabov, although that has changed now. Well, I, uh, I'll even expand that a little bit. So he's got, he's got those two whites and then... Uh, he's got black in round nine against Alexinko, which I don't think it's unreasonable to think he could win that game with black. And then round 10, he's got white against Ding Liren, who I know he's yeah. already lost a game against Liren, but uh, you know now that Ding is playing so poorly and has to think his tournament's basically over, I, I can't imagine he's going to bring his A game against Caruana with black in round 10. So Caruana's got a nice four-game stretch where he could really rack some points up. You know, you're right. I think <clears throat> I think maybe the takeaway there is that the schedule plays out nicely for him to get back into it. If he can get a couple wins, right? I mean, now's the time when he's going to have to do it. But the schedule plays out nicely to the point where the matchups are not bad. The colors are not bad. It's coming off a rest day. You know, things probably could not have lined up better for a Fabi comeback, I guess, is where I'm going with that. Yeah, if he if he doesn't make a move in the next four rounds, he's, I don't see him making a move in the last four. Right. Yeah, I mean, not only will he probably run out of time, but the matchups and the schedule is not as favorable as they are between, you know, round seven to ten is far more favorable matchups than rounds eleven to fourteen. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Um, another player who I just wanted to touch on briefly. You know, you mentioned the press conferences, and, and I agree. But but Gristrick has has uh, has had an interesting event, I guess I'll say. 
normally when you see something on the results table like six draws, you, you don't you sort of don't look twice and you don't look too deeply at it. But Grishuk has had chances. You know, he's one of the players to me who I thought about highlighting from that that pack of of three points who might be interesting to follow the rest of the way because he certainly has had has had some winning chances here and there. Most notably, right, I believe right off the bat, was it round one he played Alexanko? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, right off the bat against Alexanko, I think he just he met, he missed a couple wins. Um, so he might be another interesting one to follow. But you seem not as optimistic about him. Well, I seem not as optimistic, not because he doesn't have the potential. And I mean, of everyone in this field, I feel like Grishik at least has a reputation for being able to create the most um, sharp positions. Uh, which is what you kind of need right now when you're this far back. Right. But you, you, I mean, I know sometimes he says things, I'm not sure if he really means, um, but Grishik in multiple press conferences and interviews and things like that has kind of really talked about how he feels like this tournament should be canceled, shouldn't be happening, uh, he doesn't like the security um, and all the testing, and he's constantly showing up late to the games. I just don't feel like his head's in it. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it's sort of a, an interesting case study, you know, just to watch how the circumstances affect players differently, you know, and the ability to battle through it is not an easy one to have, I guess would be the best way to put it. And I think you're right. I think, I think he has been uh, affected more than most which is especially interesting because, you know, he's, he's sort of in a way on his home turf, right? I mean, the, the tournament's being held in Russia even. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's tricky. Um, certainly in terms of positions he's had on the board, I think, I think the potential for a plus score has been there for him. Um, he just hasn't been able to actualize it yet. I, I think that's definitely the case. And I think he could, in theory, if he comes back from this rest day, Realizing, okay, that this tournament is going on. Um, I'm <laughs> right. No, it's I'm happening. No more, right. I'm no more out of it than anyone else is. Um, maybe, maybe he can come back. But he, he's kind of got the opposite of what Fabi's got going on. I mean, he's got two blacks in a row. Right. The schedule um, is not favorable for him at all. That's a good point. And then, and the white he has, although this for gaining the leader might be important, but the white he has is against Nepanyashi, which, uh, you know, is not what you would want when you're trying to mount a comeback. So he's got two blacks and a white against the toughest person and then another black. So he's literally got the opposite of what Fabi has, where Fabi has three out of four whites and the one black is against the tournament um, least favored. I mean, so... Yeah, it, feel, it, it feels like Grishik's most favorable schedule is actually rounds one to, fill, one to four, actually, now that I look at it. Yeah, I mean, if, if he mounts a comeback, then he definitely deserved it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. Well, um, at the halfway point, Daniel, any final thoughts before we wrap up our uh, mid-tournament coverage of the 2020 Candidates Tournament? Um, I think the only thing I was really going to mention was, um, and you already kind of touched on that round seven is the most important um, I guess you could say that about every round, especially when you get to the last round. But round seven, you've got Lagrave versus Nepanyashi. And if somehow Nepo wins with black again, I think the tournament's over. 
That's just and it, I, you think? I, I think that's just the entire end of the tournament. No one else is going to have the um, the will to catch him that many points back. Um, I just I don't I don't see how it how it happens, and I don't think that that's entirely unreasonable um, to see Nepo come back with some serious prep, even with Black in round seven and win. I right. don't think it'll happen. I think a draw is more likely. Um, but if it does, I think that the tournament's basically over, which is kind of incredible. And if you think about it, a lot of times plus four is enough to win the candidates, and he would already be on plus four halfway through. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I was pulling up their, uh, their head-to-head because I remembered uh, I have a note here about their head-to-head that it was interesting. So MVL in decisive games is up five to one. So it's plus four against opponent with seven draws. But I'm going into their history here to try to find what I marked. Ah, okay. I think this is it. Um, yeah, their most recent game was a Nepomnishi win. So you had the white side of a Grunfeld. Um, and I'm trying to go back even a little bit further here because there was another game that caught my eye as I was looking at their history. You know, MVL is one who's fairly set in his repertoire, which is which is why I was going back and looking at this, because one thing we've seen so far from Nepomnishi has been his preparation is quite good. Um, you know, he's getting he's getting good positions um, to play, which is important if you want to try to play decisively. And his preparation has been solid so far. So when I when I think of that and I think of the fact that, you know, Vashi Lagrov's repertoire has been fairly straightforward and predictable for some time. I wonder if that gives Nepomnichi some chances here. I think that and um, the fact that, and I know this can go both ways, but uh, Lagrov obviously didn't have much time to prepare before this tournament. He's, he's done pretty well considering, obviously. But sometimes that can be a blessing in disguise. You know, you don't overthink it. You just you play your repertoire, and and the other players don't have uh, don't have time to research you. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I guess I just think that this could really go one of two ways. I, I think I feel like I mean I know mathematically the chances are it's going to be a draw, but like in my heart I feel like it's going to be decisive one way or the other. And uh, if VML wins, then. Um, the whole tournament is kind of given a reset. Right. And if, uh, if Nepo wins, the tournament's basically over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. I think that's a, that's an excellent read on this, on the situation. So, well, great. Daniel, thank you for giving us your thoughts on, uh, the 2020 candidates. You know, there's something else I'd like to ask you about and to talk about today, which you left out of your self intro. <laughs> so if I can broach the subject, I am really curious to hear about dumb night. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, I guess I kind of <laughs> left out of the intro because uh, I I haven't done a whole lot of videos recently, which I'm hoping with the whole uh, you know quarantined at home thing that uh, um, I'll be able to do some more videos here. But uh, it's my YouTube channel, and um, the name I guess I just came up with because um, the night is very dumb when trying to defend <laughs> against a past pawn. Uh, that's what ah okay. So I was wondering uh, if if the title was something like you know this is something uh, you had said in like a, a blitz game one time. You know like oh that dumb knight. You know you miss. <laughs> I it, it feels like I was missing a knight tactic. You know what I mean? Like in a in a blitz well, game or in a, in a time scramble. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a lot of meanings to it. Uh, specifically, I was thinking of how 
you know, if you can imagine like an in game where it's a king trying to catch a a passed pawn, and because there's a knight being a you know being kicked around and attacked by this pawn, there's actually positions where you'd rather not have the knight. You're losing because you have the knight. Um, right. Where you can't say that about any other piece. You know, uh, a bishop, a queen, a rook. Uh, you know, e- even another pawn stopping a pawn. Like sometimes the knight is is dumber than them all. So. That's why I came up with the name. Um, and it just kind of, uh, it's going to be a whole bunch of things. I mean, opening videos, um, practice games, things like that. I, uh, actually did a video on the, what I call the good Philidor, which is, I've actually noticed, uh, is kind of trendy where you start with, uh, 1d6 as black and you can get into a Philidor that isn't busted like the classical Philidor basically is. Yeah, I noticed these, uh, these videos on Chessable. Uh, I think they're calling it, the Black Lion, is that correct? Yeah, they're calling it the Black Lion because it's some book that came out a few years ago um, called okay. the Black Lion. Um, specific- so now we have the Tiger Modern and the Black Lion, and they're kind of interestingly similar systems. Yeah, they, they are interesting similar. Um, I, I do think that technically the Lion is when Black tries to delay castling and you know makes that whole G-pawn push, like he plays H6, G5, and tries to attack the, uh, the White King. Um, but uh, I don't really like playing it that way. I like just playing where, um, you know, you just you just castle and you're 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 safe and you're solid. Uh, so you get one right. you get one or two things. You get either where you get a queenless middle game because White uh, wants to take away casting rights and trades off queens, um, or you get um, a sound Philidor where uh, White doesn't have those uh, you know knight g five ideas. Interesting. Yeah. So I noticed um, you you also posted on your channel some of your some of your streams, some of your live streams that you've been doing. Um, what sort of drew you to to streaming? It feels like chess streamers have really grown. The numbers of streamers and the interest, the viewership has grown a lot lately, which I think is just great. It's fantastic. What drew you into into streaming some of your games and, and some of your play? Well, I actually used to stream on Twitch several years ago. Um, was it chess or something no, else? No, it, uh, it was chess, actually. Yeah, and oh, cool. I, uh, nice. I kind of quit doing that um, just because I um, had some you know, life events, like uh, meeting the love of my life and getting married and you know, having a... <laughs> you know, those minor, <laughs> minor things. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then I just decided to come back to it. But I actually found it was, um, at least initially, it was helping my chess because I'd be playing these practice games online and I'd have to be stating what i was thinking um so it, it forced me to think on on more moves and then you'd have people um you know you're playing viewers and you'd have other viewers commenting on things and you'd get ideas that you wouldn't normally think about when it matters like in the middle of the game so um i found it was interesting just to kind of connect with people and also to improve my own chess um so i don't know i uh it's something that i would recommend for a lot of people to get into I sort of have the same experience. You know, I think it goes back to the to the old chess quote, be able to explain any position to yourself in plain English, right? You know, if I can lay it out in plain terms and simple terms and, and explain it to myself, I'm helping my understanding and I'm helping my improvement. So it's interesting you have you share some of those those same experiences. Yeah, I mean, um, funny enough, I, I don't even know if I can go back and view it now. I, it was on a different uh, a different username, but the highest um, Lee Chess rating I ever had, which was like 
upper 2200s um, in classical time was, and obviously that's really inflated, but the highest rating I ever had was when I was in the middle of streaming. So I know I've seen some people (laughs) talk about how streaming can make you play worse, but if you're actually, I I think that's more with Blitz though. Uh, Yeah, I think longer games I play better when I'm streaming and shorter games I play worse because I just run out of time. Yeah, and longer games, you you have more time to think and you're forcing yourself to think and you're talking about it. Because if you're not talking, like you're you're not very interesting and people aren't going to be watching your channel. So you're forced to think on moves that maybe you wouldn't think about before. So um, I'd encourage anyone to do it, even if you only have a couple of viewers. Um, You know, it's you're going to get people on there talking with you, sometimes much stronger players, and they're going to give you basically free lessons. Cool. So uh, for the for the link for anybody who wants to to um, watch or follow you, do you have a Twitch channel you still stream to, or is it just YouTube? Uh, it's pretty much just on YouTube for now. Um, I might okay. go back on Twitch at some point. And the, the link on YouTube is like some long uh, mix of letters and numbers that be too too cumbersome to give over here but uh if you just look <laughs> up dumb night i'm sure you could find it especially as i start putting more videos on there um and the twitch streaming community although it's grown it hasn't gotten too huge yet so if i start using that more i mean if people are just looking at the chess channel they might see me on there cool great well daniel i really appreciate you coming on and um I guess nerding out with me over the <laughs> the candidates. I know my, my wife <laughs> know. actually texted me while I uh, was t- you know doing this uh, this segment with you uh, talking about how uh, yeah. I'm such a nerd and she loves me. <laughs> That's so great. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you and I text each other pretty much almost daily about the about the games, and it's fun to have someone to chat about the games with. I really sincerely hope, you know, that other players will get invested and get interested in the candidates event. I think it's fun to follow. I think it's great to follow. And not only that, but I think you can learn something, you know, there's a lot of free live commentary streams about it. You can improve your chess. You can have fun. You can learn about these chess personalities. It's just a great experience. And also, you know, from a more serious perspective in these times, it's a great way just to stay connected with a community. You know, it's, it's, as we mentioned, it's one of the only games in town, if not the only, and finding a way to remain connected when you're in social isolation, I think is really important. So it's been great to do that with you and, and text and share our enthusiasm over the games. And I hope some of our listeners will find that enthusiasm for themselves as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, a lot of people can't get out or only get out to get, you know, groceries right now. So um i i think it's really a great sporting event for people to get into and i i actually think it's more interactive than a lot of sporting events uh if you imagine like sitting at home watching baseball um or, you know there's i i suppose there are um places you can get online and chat with other baseball fans while games are going on but it's not quite the same i mean you you've got all this live right. commentary on things that are happening in the games and uh you know, you're on Chess24 or some other website. You can be chatting with other fans while games are happening. It's um, right. It, it's something very tweeting unique. Tweeting at them. Yeah. I, following some of the tweets uh, from the candidates themselves is one of the more entertaining things for me, too. So that's kind of fun. And, you know, you talked about interactive. You can also set up a chessboard and, and follow along with the moves. You know, you can't set up a baseball diamond and start, uh, you know, copying that, <laughs> analyzing what, what pitch is coming next, you know. 
so it's a it's a different experience. It's a unique experience, and I think um, I, I would hope anyway, it's a great opportunity for our listeners to get involved with high level chess and also connect with others. Um, so thank you again, Daniel, for being here, for your willingness to come on the show and have a chat with me. Um, I look forward to seeing some new Dumb Night videos. When, when's the timeline on the next one, you think? I'm going to video up here in the next day or two, because uh, I don't really have any excuses for why I haven't been adding them now that I'm uh, you know, stuck at home. <laughs> right, fair enough. Well, great. Um, take care, Daniel, and thanks for being a show on the chess. Uh, yeah, thanks for being a guest on the chess. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. Okay. Really cool. Me too. From a distance. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for our podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.7seasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Determination.